1: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800 GAMBLER.
2: I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington.
3: it gives me a lot of hope.
0: If you liked Locatora before, you're gonna love season nine.
3: Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast.
0: Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
4: podcasts.
5: This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio.
4: What up America Doug Gottlieb show Fox Sports Radio coming to you from the city of angels where uh, man all these teams having star players drop like flies looks better and better better and better for um, better and better. For the L.A. Rams. We'll get you ready for NFL football. We'll get you ready for college football. We'll react to some NBA. By the way, college basketball is back. Welcome back, college basketball. Try not to buy anybody or have anybody cheat on their grades in the short term so we can actually enjoy the season. A season which I'll cover for you, I'll share with you, and I will give you some Your Welcomes. Do you guys know what uh, Your Welcome Americas are? Ramos, you're not, you guys aren't well aware of what uh, of what URWAs are. URWAs. You are welcome, America. That's what U R W A. That's what the acronym U R W A is. Okay, here's what it comes from. Uh, this goes back about I don't know ten years ago, and Stanford. Uh, excuse me. Syracuse played Cal at Madison Square Garden, and a buddy. I I texted a buddy of mine. I had I knew something about a line that was off, and I texted a buddy, Hey man, I think this line is way off. It was way off. He did well, and I simply said, you are welcome. And so anytime I know something about something that I maybe should, maybe shouldn't, maybe it's common knowledge, but it's undervalued by Vegas or overvalued by Vegas, I give you a pick and I say, you are welcome. You can pretty much go to the bank with that one. It's much better than the blood bank guarantees that Clay Travis gives you, seeing as many of you are out of platelets because he's been losing on so many of those. All right, college basketball season is here. I'll give you some picks when necessary, but in the meantime, just enjoy the hoops, and you can tweet me me at Gottlieb Show. The story of the day is the story of last night. No, it's not the Thunder losing again, the Lakers losing again, or even the Rockets beating the Cavs. It's Thursday night football, to which the Seattle Seahawks' ho-hum did, in fact, beat the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, many are giving Russell Wilson a ton of credit for the 57-yard catch and run to Doug Baldwin. Um, I like Russell Wilson. I think he's a very solid uh, upper-tier quarterback. I don't think he's a tier-one quarterback, but he was not very good for a good portion of time last night, and that played the backbreaker when they were up 15-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter. That was pure luck. That was pure athleticism. That was just the talent of Doug Baldwin – and the escapability of Russell Wilson. But that wasn't really a great throw and catch. And it wasn't any, some sort of great read that allowed that play to happen. What did happen was there's a litany of injuries. Most notably, Richard Sherman's out for the year. And this is going to dramatically change however Richard Sherman's career comes to an end. And maybe it will expedite his exodus from Seattle. Keep in mind they thought about getting rid of Richard Sherman this offseason as they put him up on the trade block. Anybody want to pay us enough for Richard Sherman? You can have him. Tours Achilles tendon last night with five ten to go in the third quarter. Five ten to go in the third quarter. Here's Pete Carroll on Thursday night football.
5: I hope that you guys recognize
4: how how uh how challenging this is for these for the NFL players—it's so challenging uh, physically, and, and they have to go through so much, and they risk so much uh, for them to fight
6: and claw a scratch like that. You know, I'm talking about both teams and every team that plays this game, and not just about tonight. And uh, I just hope you guys will understand that it's it's how admirable it is for because they love the game, and and of course they're getting paid and all, but they they go through a tremendous amount, and that uh, just tears your heart away when when you know it gets taken away because of injuries and all.
4: I. I I don't like some of the attitude stuff of Richard Sherman and how he was demonstrative last year with Daryl Bevel and his offensive play calling, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But I love the Richard Sherman story, and I feel for him as a human being that he tore his Achilles tendon. It'll be an uphill climb for him to get back on the field. It's a hard position to play once you get to 30. It's even harder when you're coming off of that sort of catastrophic injury. So I feel for him. Doug Baldwin, even closer to it, said, quote, this S should be illegal. He told Greg Bell of the Tacoma News. Uh, if you look at the injuries, Baldwin was one of at least 15 players hurt or injured in the game between the two teams. The Seahawks alone had 12 different players injured in some way. Sherman, Jerron Reed hurt his hamstring, Dwayne Brown, of course, the uh Newest acquisition from the Houston Texans hurt his ankle. Some of that's probably because he hadn't been playing. C.J. Proceis, who's always hurt, hurt his ankle. Michael Wilhoyt hurt his calf. Frank uh, Clark hurt his thigh. Cam Chancellor had a stinger. Shaq Griffin had a shoulder. And Russell Wilson got hit in the jaw. uh, Was not evaluated probably clearly enough for a concussion. Nas Jones and uh, Baldwin had hip and groin issues that they played through doesn't include three Cardinals that are done for the season. DJ Humphreys, Tyvon Branch, and uh, Ifani MoMA. Doug Baldwin said it's exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D, exhibit Z. Thursday night football should be illegal. You know, the crazy thing about it is he's probably right. There probably shouldn't be Thursday night football games. But you know what will never happen? they won't stop having Thursday night football games. Do you know why? Because this is the second year in a two-year package, a split between CBS and NBC. CBS and NBC both have six consecutive games. They have 12 total Thursday night games. They're going to pay a combined $450 million for 24 games. Over this two year period, which ends at the end of the season. All right, do the math for me. Uh, Music, do you have a little calendar? I mean, a little little calculator on your phone? So you can either do 24 into 450, or you can do 12 into 225. Either way, you can get how much they're paying per game to broadcast these games, which we would all all conclude. Are not played at the very top end of optimal output because of the quick turnaround.
7: It's about eighteen million
4: seven hundred fifty thousand. Eighteen million seven hundred fifty thousand per game. Per game. So uh, it's it's great in theory to say mm. we should cut off these games. They don't make any sense. But when you're making, when you have 18 million in change, and remember, it's about a 50 50 split between the players and the owners. So players make nine million from each one of these games. It's pretty easy to say it ain't going anywhere. Because um, what was that line from Wall Street? What was it? I think it was greed, for lack of a better word is good. It is good. Read is right. Th- this reminds me of um Do you know what the biggest tax cut in the history of the United States was? Ramos you're you're the only one I think old enough and wise enough to remember this one. President Reagan? Yeah. You remember what happened?
1: I don't remember exactly. But it know. was
4: followed shortly by the biggest tax increase in the history of the United States. <laughs> Whoops. Nobody wants to pay taxes. Do you want to pay taxes? I don't want to pay taxes. Right? It's like a great idea. Like, well, let's just cut taxes. You cut taxes and you cut taxes. Like, cut taxes. And then they're like, all right, so listen, uh, that means that revenue is going to drop off. Like, all right. What are we going to cut? Uh, Cut schools. Can't cut schools. Kids can't read. Which they've been cutting for years anyway, right? Uh, What are you going to cut? Defense spending? Everybody's like, "Cut, cut defense spending. But you know what happens when you cut? Those are jobs. That's basically subsidizing jobs, especially here in California, in Texas, in other parts of the country where they have I mean, like, look, we're funding our military. That's basically paying for jobs. Not just for weapons, which we make, uh, but just for the people to go to work on a daily basis. Like, that's where the defense spe- spending is. Do I think we overspend on stuff? Sure. Things get bid up and charged up or whatever. But the fact is, like, the reason there was the greatest tax increase, like, Ronald Reagan's, was like, well, we're going to cut taxes like, they've never been cut before. And they did. And then it was like, whoa, we got a problem here. There's no money. No money. Like, do you think that that lots of people in Colorado and in Nevada wanted weed to be legal? I mean, there's plenty of people that like weed being legal. But they're like, well, you know, here's the deal. We can either make weed legal or we can cut school budgets. And they're like them if you got them. there's a there's a, a city in Orange County. Irvine. Irvine. Irvine is a pre-planned city. It was built. it's built solely by the Irvine company. They own it. they built it pre-planned schools, pre-planned roads. Uh, it looks like Sims it's basically like Sim City. Before Sim City was popular, that was Irvine. okay and the the high schools are ridiculous. University high school. I think they had 18 kids last year that had a perfect SAT score. Public high school. It is ridiculous. What is also ridiculous is that the police is over the top. You'll see somebody get a speeding ticket and there'll be like four cop cars. And it doesn't matter. It could be a little old lady with a cane and she'll be sitting on the side of the road and they'll be going through ravaging through her car. Now, look. I'm not for cops going over the top. I think four cop cars and a little old lady who's speeding through Irvine and Jamboree is a bit much, but you know what else at 10 30 at night, if my car breaks down, if there's one place on earth, I'd most like to be cause I'd feel most safe. It would be Irvine, California. Like everybody wants, like, I, I don't want Thursday night football. It ain't great. It ain't a great watch. But if you stack it on Sunday football, it has absolutely, that game has absolutely no value to anybody at all. It just does. And no value. Like we got the one o'clock games, we got the four o'clock games, we got the Sunday games. If you put the Seahawks and the Cardinals, it's a four o'clock start and it just gets buried. Just gets buried. You put it as a standalone on Thursday night. Now it's worth $18 million by itself to the league before they sell an ad, before anything else is actually done. So, Doug Baldwin, Pete Carroll, all of you bitching and complaining, I don't like Thursday Night Football. You want to give back some of your money? This is like NBA guys. You know what we need to do? We need to shorten the season. Yeah, we need to shorten the season. You going to give back some of your money? Uh, Because, you know, the arenas are leased for 41 nights in the regular season. That means all those people who have jobs selling tickets, selling uh, concessions, Selling beer and parking and all the local restaurants, they all depend on those 41 nights of inventory. So not only are you gonna have to give back money, and the owner's gonna have to give back money, but so too are all of those restaurants, all of those people who work there, they're gonna make less money. So it sounds great in front of a, a crowded, crowded locker room. Thursday night football sucks. It does. But it makes a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, like, look, players, they're not... They they hate Thursday Night Football. They love the salary cap going up. I don't know if you remember 2012. uh, 2010, excuse me. There was no salary cap. And players thought, no salary cap, hey, happy days are here again. Let's just spend some cash here. Let's just do it. But what happened? The salary cap actually helps players rank-and-file players because the salary cap has a floor, not just a ceiling. If you look back, NFL teams nickled and dimed all of their rank-and-file type players, minimum contracts, spending as little as possible. Like, Look, I'm not telling you Thursday Night Football is the end-all be-all, That I love watching it. I kind of like Seattle's color rush uniforms, I will point out. They're so ugly, they're cool. They're so hideous, they're awesome. But until somebody else finds a way in which you can make $18 million a week on one game, which isn't very good, we're going to keep it as it is. That's pretty much the policy. You can't have it on on Saturday because that conflicts with college football. Can't have it on Friday because nobody wants it. It has no value to TV on Friday. Thursday night it is. Deal with it, kids.
5: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
4: Let's welcome in Stank Mark Schlereth, who joins us. Do you have – is there a plan that, you, that, that Mark Schlereth would put in place that could fix Thursday night football where so many players think they're getting hurt because of the quick turnaround?
6: Where I could fix it? Yeah.
5: No. <laughs> you can't that, that's kind of it. my point. All right.
6: Yeah, I mean – it's either let's get rid of it, and you know, and it, it, one, it just is it, to me. It doesn't work. The product is bad, and you want to talk about all the issues the NFL has right now, and they've got a boatload of issues, a myriad of issues they're looking at. But um, you know, mediocrity is one of them, and you're 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 basically putting out a bad product. Um, there's just no way to turn your body around and be able to play and play efficiently or play, you know, to the level that that you've um, established yourself as a league on a Thursday night. And, you know, I get it, the argument that a lot of people throw out there. Well, they did it forever on, you know, Thanksgiving Day. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you there's no really – there's no way to really prepare yourself to play. Um, and, you know, the NFL will throw out stats all the time about how there's less risk of injury. Well, if you have less injuries on Thursday night, it's simply because the guys aren't playing as hard or playing as fast. Um but yeah there's no way there's no real way to fix it if you got to either be willing to walk away from that revenue um, and say you know what we're not going to continue to dilute the product or you're just going to have to put up with it
4: you know what's interesting is the NFL there's just there's a hypocrisy to the NFL and it agrees completely with what you're saying you know the reason CBS got the Thursday night package was because they agreed to use their best announcers right to use nance and in this case romo previously was phil sims And NBC, they wanted to use Tirico, and they fought him. They made him use Al Michaels last year, et cetera. But the idea was, hey, we're the NFL. you got to put your best foot forward in broadcasting our games. And yet, that same NFL that wants the broadcast product to be great doesn't seem to care if the actual games are great.
6: Yeah, and that is the ultimate hypocrisy. The other thing, you know, you watched that broadcast last night, and, you know, Walt Coleman, the uh, referee since – sends Russell Wilson out on the field because he got hit in the chin, and you know, concerned about the health, and they've got the right to do that, and they're saying, hey, go out there, and Russell Wilson rolls into the uh, concussion evaluation tent, pulls it down, walks out by himself, grabs his helmet, and goes back out there. And, you know, the thing that's crazy to me is Carlos Dansby is, is the guy that hit him, and it's unavoidable. They, helmet-to-helmet contact is going to happen. It's going to be unavoidable, and you're probably going to get fined for it. Um, I, I truly hope as we're talking about hypocrisy, that the NFL gets, uh, the NFL just absolutely throws the book at the Seattle Seahawks. Um, to allow that to happen to a marquee player, when we've got, what, 15, 20 marquee players that are out for the season right now with injury, to allow that to happen to a marquee player is just wrong. And like I said, guys get fined every week for unavoidable helmet-to-helmet hits. And, we sent a guy out, and, you know, and, and he walks back in without actually going through the concussion protocol that he was sent out for. That's just wrong. And so I hope the NFL actually looks at that and doesn't throw it, and, you know, sweep it under the carpet like what they did to Case Keenum a couple of years ago when he played for the Rams, and he was actually asleep on the football field. I mean, the uh, referee was stepping yeah. over him. He was sleeping, snoring on the football field and he was allowed to stay in that game, and they did nothing to the Rams. Oh, you know what? Those mistakes happen occasionally. So I, I hope that um, we start taking it a little bit more seriously than we really have in the past.
4: Uh, okay, so what does this do to the Seattle Seahawks, who did win the game in spite of all these injuries, and the injuries continue to mount up? Uh, even Dwayne Brown, who they who they just uh, uh, they just acquired from Houston, uh, but they don't have Richard Sherman. How much does this hurt their chances of winning a, winning a Super Bowl?
6: Well, I think it hurts significantly. I mean, you look at Richard Sherman, he's one of the marquee players and one of the best defensive backs in all the National Football League. And, you know, and and it's hard to replace those guys. I mean, obviously, uh, the next guy has to come out and play well. And, and, you know, ultimately, Dougie, that's how all of us get our our opportunity. And I got my opportunity to become a starter in the National Football League when Mark Maytour is ACL. And I replaced him, and, you know, the rest is history. I went on to start for the next 12 years. So, you know, next guy up, and I know that's cliche, but it's the way you have to look at it. And um, everybody's dealing with injuries. Everybody's got, you know, everybody's got aches and pains. And um, and that's just the NFL that we live in. It's always hard when it becomes a marquee guy, though. But they still, you know, they'll still, Earl Thomas will be back, and they still have Chancellor. And, and they're still an outstanding defensive unit across the board. So, um you know, their biggest problems aren't even aren't even on the defensive side of the ball in those injuries. Their biggest problems are, you know, their offensive line and, and being able to run the ball, which they haven't run the ball all season long.
4: Mark Slayer joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Okay, let's get to the Dallas Cowboys. Zeke Elliott probably not going to play this weekend. What does that do to Dak Prescott in terms of the pressure on him to produce more without such an elite running back behind him?
6: Uh, you know, I mean, I think that's always there. I think Dak Jack Prescott probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because, you know, it's always, oh, they've got a great offensive line and they've got Zeke Elliott. But I think the kid is a star. Um, I think, you know, there's the, there's the three quarterbacks that, you know, and maybe I'm missing one here, but it's Brady and it's Aaron Rodgers and, and it's Drew Brees that will make up for a multitude of sins. You know, they'll cover a lot of wars the compound W quarterbacks of football. Um, but in that next group, Dak Prescott is in that next group, and I think this is an opportunity for him to go out, continue to do what he always has done, um, but for him to actually get the credit that he he so richly deserves by the way he's played. So they'll still run the ball. They'll still you know they'll still be balanced. They may they may run a little bit more option type of stuff, zone read stuff, where Dak Prescott's allowed to keep it on the edge. But I'm telling you, Dak Prescott. I believe is a star in this league. And, and I believe that he, he'll prove worthy of, of that stardom that, um, that he's received because uh, he'll carry this team during this, during the Zeke uh, Elliott suspension.
4: Uh, there's reports out of New York that Ben McAdoo has, has lost the locker room. Is that, and look, sometimes it might just be one or two guys that don't like him. And those are the guys going to the media, but there seems to be a, um, a substantial amount of discontent there. And they're not very good. They're already looking for their replacement quarterback. They they don't have OBJ. His handling of OBJ has, uh, has polarized that locker room. How fixable is that if he remains his head coach?
6: I, I think it's. I think that unless you get rid of all the players, you know the, the thing about that situation is uh, much easier to replace the coach than it is all the players. And you know you're gonna you're gonna look at. Kind of what's going on there, and I think it'll be the coach that ends up paying the ultimate price. I said this week, oh gosh, I don't know if it was week one, week two, uh, when he criticized his quarterback for not managing the clock well, um, and you know, and missing an opportunity down in the red zone. And I was like, that's just a really bad look. Uh, it's a really bad look for that coach, and um, and then he's consistently done that over time, and so. Here's Ben McAdoo throwing his players under the bus, and and you know basically, um, as Teddy Bruschi used to like to say all the time, don't point the finger, pull the thumb, and you know that guy's the ultimate finger pointer. And when things like you can make up for that, uh, winning is a great elixir, and you'll get over it if you're winning. But when you're losing, and you got a head coach that's that's splaying guys out in the media, like I don't I don't give a I don't care if you take me behind closed doors and rip me. I don't care if you do it in front of the team meeting; it's fine. But to walk outside of our facility and and to lay that out to the media and let them know—that's um, the number one way that you lose respect in a locker room. And that's, you know, that's being his biggest issue. And and guys are sick of it now. They're you know out of it and they're losing, and they've lost Odell Beckham Jr. and they've lost Mar- uh, uh, Brandon Marshall and. You know, and you're talking about the other thing the guys know in the locker room is Eli Manning might not be playing well, but, you know, they're not blocking anybody. They don't run the ball. And that dude is a consummate professional. I mean, he understands the game. Um, I've talked to guys that have played with him. uh, Tim Hasselbeck tells me consistently he's the smartest guy I've ever played with. Like, he knows the players know how hard he works. They're kind of what he's meant to that football team. And, you know, it's like his fault, and it's everybody else's fault except the head coach. Um, players, you know, players are just tuning a guy out.
4: Yep. Uh, last thing you mentioned last week, how it didn't matter who played quarterback for the Broncos, they weren't going to see success against the Eagles because of the lack of offensive line play. Now they take on the Patriots, who don't have a great defense, and uh, Osweiler is going to get yet another shot. What's the likelihood of success for Brock Osweiler?
6: Well, I think' they'll, I think they'll be better this week. It'll be interesting to see if Mike McCoy, their offense coordinator, actually you know changes kind of his offensive approach. Um, they have they have based out of 11 personnel, three wide receiver personnel the majority of the season. And pretty much every bad play, all but two or three sacks have come out of 11 personnel. Every interception minus two or three have come out of uh, 11 personnel. They don't. They don't have a slot receiver that threatens anybody. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders on the outside's been hurt. Uh, Demarius Thomas isn't a true number one anymore. He's having trouble separating. Uh, he's having trouble beating one-on-one coverage consistently, or beating it early consistently. And their offensive line's a train wreck when you're talking about trying to, you know, trying to uh, line up with just five on five. And so. You know, is the offensive coaching staff going to be so damn stubborn they're going to continue to put them in a personnel grouping where they don't have they don't have the horses to um, to be successful in that, or are they going to actually change what they do? Because you know, I look at the weaknesses of the New England Patriots. They have linebacker injuries. High Tower is going to be out for the season. He's not only a middle linebacker; he's a guy that can set the edge. So they're going to have a bunch of a lot backup you know, linebackers playing, I would get in two tights or two running backs and a tight end kind of base formations, base personnel groupings, and force them to play their, their undermanned, you know, their undermanned linebacking core, force them to play the run, force them to play those guys in coverage, and see if they can exploit the weakness. Now, whether they'll do that or not, I have no idea. Um, but if they don't do that, you know, if they continue to kind of do the same things they've been doing, I can't imagine them having success.
4: Mark Slayer, three-time Super Bowl champion, Fox, NFL on Fox analyst, and of course, you can see him on Fox Sports 1 as well. Stank, great stuff, man. Thanks for joining us.
5: You got it, Dougie, man. Be good. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app.
4: What was the story earlier in the season? with the Dallas Cowboys offense. Wasn't it that Zeke, they couldn't get Zeke going. And when they couldn't get Zeke going, their offense wasn't very good. Do you remember that? And then since the bye week, granted it started, it started with the 49ers aren't very good, but since the bye week, they've just dominated fools. Right, And one of the big reasons they dominated fools is Zeke Elliott. Right? Well, Zeke Elliott appears, and again, we got till end of business, EOB, End of business today, we would assume to have that changed. I mean, I guess some, uh, a, a, I guess a judge could do it, could change it whenever he wants. But we have till end of business today to uh, for him, for somebody to change their mind. But if he doesn't, they play the Atlanta Falcons, who have issues of their own, issues of their own. But the Cowboys come in, and I think we're going to get a chance to see which adventure Dak Prescott is going to take us down. Could it be Justin Timberlake or could it be David Lee Roth, right? That's really kind of the question there. Justin Timberlake or David Lee Roth? Because remember, David Lee Roth was lead singer of Van Halen in the late 70s and uh, into the mid-80s, 78 through 85. Uh, Most people I think know Jump is probably the most famous song Hot for Teacher was a personal favorite, right? Imagine that song, Hot for Teacher, now. Like, that would not work with all these teachers who are seducing kids. Anyway, he was a principal lyricist and he had huge success. Uh, He also was kind of a wild man and uh, that helped him with his rock and roll reputation. He parted ways with the band in 1985 he had seven solo albums with 30-plus band members. From 85 to 2003, he did have some success, but never superstarred superstar. In 96, he rejoined Van Halen to record two songs in their Best Of album, and Ross and uh, Eddie Van Halen famously uh, threatened each other at that year's VMAs. Uh, he also has the David Lee Roth Show, lasted only four months on Sirius, XM, uh, Serious Radio, that's before Sirius and XM combined, and it lasted just four months. He rejoined Van Halen in 07-08 on tour. Um, he lives in Tokyo since 2012, does have a house in New York City and in Pasadena. I'm sure he does quite well off residuals. right? He's not like broke down, missing teeth, begging to do anything and everything just to, just to get another hit or something like that. It ain't like he's that bad off, but when you think of David Lee Roth, most thoughts of him begin and end with with Van Halen Jump. That was the that was the greatest he ever was and probably ever will be. Then you look at Justin Timberlake. He was on Star Search as a kid on the Mickey Mouse Club. He became the league vocalist of In one of the top boy bands of all time. Timberlake left In Sync. And released his first album in 2002, Cry Me River, Rock Your Body, won two Grammy Awards, right? Um, since leaving NSYNC, he's released four solo, solo albums. They've all gone platinum. His uh, first two albums, he focused also, after his first two albums, he had an acting career, right? He was on, uh, was he on Social Network, uh, Bad Teacher, and Friends with Benefits. That was with uh, Mila Kunis. Right. Cute couple. 10 Grammys, 4 Emmys, 3 Brits, 9 Billboard Music Awards. Named one of Time's most 100 Most Influential People in '07 and 2013 and he's performing again at the Super Bowl. It's not just that he's performing at the Super Bowl, he's performing at the Super Bowl after showing J- Janet Jackson's boobie to the world. Right? Like, to come back from that and be back at the Super Bowl, that's kind of big stuff. So the point is that Lots of people break free and do a solo act. We talked about this with Kyrie Irving, you know? Like, you break free of LeBron, that's great. You, you could be David Lee Roth, or you could be Justin Timberlake. And I kind of think we're going to find out about Dak Prescott. Because I like Terrence Williams. Uh, he's become a really good threat for them. I do think that Des Bryant's playing better now than he did earlier in the season. I think Jason Witten, Witten feels more washed uh, than we'd like to believe. And you know what? They don't have terrible running backs. They just Zeke Elliott is one of the elite running backs in the game. But we're going to find out how much of it was Dak, how much of it was Zeke, especially if he's suspended for six games.
5: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
4: Look, I'm not freaked out about Oklahoma City Except for the fact that I do think there's some inherent flaws in it, I use the real estate analogy a lot, right? Like when you go and you look for a house, the first thing, the most important thing, is always, 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 always location, location, location. Now, when people say that, they think it means like zip code. It's not just zip code in terms of what city, what school, but also like major street. You on a cul de sac? Uh, how big is the lot? Wh- which direction does the lot face? You know, do you have? Do you have a backyard? Do you have a view? Do you have what you need to have for your lifestyle? Like location and where it is, size of the lot, location on the street, what type of street, how well-traveled it is. Like all of these things are, are the most important thing. But there are some, you can have an inherent flaw that you can't get out of. Right? It's like you can go and see a house. And like, man, I love that house. Like, yeah, it's on a major street and it's in the wrong school district. And oh yeah, by the way, like even if you fix the kitchen, there's so much else that you have to fix. It just is not worth it. You'll never get the value back out of it. Like well, I'm not planning on selling this house. First, th- that sounds great, but you always have to be able to move that house. It's the mo- it's the biggest investment you're going to make. Secondly, like you just don't want to live there's you don't want to live on a hot corner. Especially if you have kids. I even mean, if you don't have kids it's just because of value, but if you have kids, there's a reason you don't. They're playing in the driveway. Ball ro- rolls out in the street. You, you don't want that fear in your life. So I feel like that that what while we shouldn't be freaking out over the losses that the Oklahoma City Thunder are accruing, that they do, Carmelo does look like he's in great shape. Um, and Russell Westbrook does look like he wants to be a leader, more of a point guard. Some of a facilitator, not just a scorer. And... Steven Adams is a monster. Like, he's a, just a monster. The flaw in that team is more than just all those guys have to have the ball to score. It's that none of them are really three-point shooters. And, and what, have we, what have we discussed with the NBA? Right? Like, the NBA has become a, 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 they call it pace and space, but it's become a three-point shooting league. Like, you got to take 30 a game. And inferior teams will jump up and beat you because they can shoot it so well. So I do I think that, uh, that they're going to be better? Of course they're going to be better. Of course they're going to be better. But I would also tell you that um, I think there's some issues with the actual construction of the team in terms of, uh, you know, how many, how many threes they can take, how much space there is. Because how they're playing right now is they come down, they pass the ball to one of their stars, and that guy either goes one-on-one or gets a ball screen from Steven Adams, and they just go make a play. Whereas the style everybody else is playing in the NBA, or most everybody else is playing is you, you, you try and come down and make a play in transition. If not, you get into some set where you're moving the ball side to side, making the defense change sides. And then you get into kind of that same action and the defense a little bit confused. you drive in, you kick out, you shoot a three. That, that's all that Houston did to win last night. So I, I think the fact that you don't have guys that have ever been role players before and um those that uh, those teams that uh, that may have inferior name talent. They have better shooting talent. The Rockets are averaging 44 threes a game. 44. That's far and away the highest. But everybody else is right there in the 30s. Right, Golden State's at um, 33. Everybody else is right there in the 30s. The Oklahoma City Thunder are shooting a, good, a healthy number of threes, 32. They're making 34%, but it's not what their best players do. So, um, points per game at 24th in the league. I think their offense is in need of major, major work. And a lot of it is they're shooting a poor percentage from two because they're shooting those mid-range shots that nobody else should shoot, that nobody shoots, because it just doesn't make sense in terms of the analytics.
5: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. And now... (laughs)
4: All right, uh, every day this uh, this time on this show, we bring back one of the previous shows, whether it's Ben Maller, um, whether it's Jason Smith, Steve Gorman Sports, JT The Brick, or any of the shows earlier on. Clay Travis Outkick, The Coverage, Undisputed, First Things First, uh, Dan Patrick, Rick Jaisons, uh Colin Cowherd. We find the best stuff from the best shows that are on Fox Sports Radio and we play him for you. In this case, it's Clay Travis, who um, he had kind of an interesting thought on how the NBA has fixed a problem before it ever existed that the NFL has uh, has really lost the battle with.
7: What I think we can give credit for here is the NBA, either they foresaw that this could be an issue because of Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, or they were just more forward-thinking in general. But nobody out there in the media or among the fans is criticizing the NBA for requiring all of its players to stand for the National Anthem. And there hasn't been a remote controversy in the NBA at all about the National Anthem. And that's because the NBA had a prescribed rule that required you to stand for the National Anthem. And as a result, the NBA has avoided all of this controversy that has enmeshed the NFL because they were forward thinking and maybe they contemplated that this could one day be an issue and so they have an express rule that you have to stand for the national anthem or you suffer consequences.
4: All right, well, they didn't they weren't that forward thinking. That was the Mahmoud Abdul Raouf rule, right? This is goes back to when former Chris Jackson refused to stand for the national anthem due to his religious beliefs and ultimately a rule was written and that's where it comes from. So we're giving the NBA credit. They they botch bobble, they butchered this thing a long time ago. And they're reaping the benefits of putting in this rule like 20 years after the fact. But it it does stand. It's amazing what this has done. Like, like I'm always kind of fascinated by it. Always fascinated by it. That people get caught up in the kind of crossfire are the ones who get hurt, not the actual people who uh, said, not the actual people who we want to, we want to talk about, right? It's like, um, there'll be people on Twitter who tweet a, a, a celebrity or, uh, somebody who's been elected official will tweet about something reacting to something. They either lose their job or forced to apologize because of their reaction to somebody else's flaws. For example, Like, look, I don't think Roger Goodell has handled this great, but I kind of think, like, what is the right way to handle it? Like, they didn't have a rule, and you couldn't in the offseason enact the Colin Kaepernick rule. That wouldn't have gone over well. He would have been even more hated by the players. And the fact is, this thing was going away until Donald Trump called, said, you know, I'd make the SOB stand. And then players thought... He's called me an S. You call me an S.O.B. It was not really what he did, but he did say the word S.O.B. And let's not act like it's the worst thing in the world. He wasn't calling you sons of. He was using it anyway. But instead of actually discussing the problem, police brutality, or athletes getting arrested, and talking about players who may think they're brutalized or players who do in fact commit crimes. It's Goodell, who's now under fire from one of his most powerful owners in Jerry Jones and might well lose his gig. Yeah, that's fascinating. But to give the NBA credit, OK, we'll give him credit. But they're only getting credit for something that they butchered, they bobbled, they screwed up. And they enacted that rule 20 years ago to force a Muslim to stand for the national anthem, which, in all honesty, it's his religious right. He shouldn't have to. Ah! What
1: does the fuck say?